Well, if you believe that, why don't you just say amen to the Lord real loud? Amen. You know, <laughs> uh, the Lord would not let me do a whole lot of preparation for this morning, though I labored a good bit toward that end because of my own insecurities. Uh, well, I wrote down a couple of thoughts that I would like to share with you. Um, this has been an historic week, as probably all of you know by now. And uh, we had intended this morning to actually uh, pray at the end of our service with Christians all over the world. It's a novel idea, isn't it? Uh, with what is called call to fall, meaning it's a call for Christians uh, to fall on their knees and to beseech the God of heaven uh, for what he wants to do upon the earth. And we had planned that um, actually a couple of weeks ago uh, and then this past week, and we shall do that. And uh, this past week, a number of us, as Michael shared with you, had the immense privilege of traveling down to Florida and visiting with Mickey and Minnie and some of those other well-known characters in our culture. Uh, and then we went uh, to our General Assembly, which was a very profound experience. <clears throat> and uh, Friday morning, I awakened, and um, I felt like the Lord was saying to me that I should stay home from what was our business, a business section of our General Assembly, and I said, well, I'm more than glad to do that, you know. Uh, so I uh, stayed home, and others of our party went different uh, directions, and I felt like the Lord was just saying, just, just pray and just kind of be in my presence. Uh, so I did, and um, it was about noon on Friday, which was the 26th, that I got word via the Internet. You know, I have this little smartphone that's much smarter than I am. Y'all have one of those, you know, and... Uh, it, it actually it came via Bloomberg. It's, I think it's a financial thing, and it said the Supreme Court uh, has just ruled that uh, gay marriages are now legal in the United States of America. You all have probably heard that. And it was a very uh, sad time for me, and I cried a bit, and, um, and then I began to worship and then the Lord began to speak to my own heart and to um, share with me a number of things. So it's out of that, the Lord speaking to me, I just want to share this morning with you because I know uh, many of you have become discouraged. And some of you have probably become fearful. And others of you um, are uh, studying um, the hands on the clock, as it were, and trying to figure out where in the world are we in this time period. Uh, and I'm aware of that, and I'm doing much the same thing. <clears throat> but I want to begin by just sharing why I'm sad this morning, uh, and then I want to share why I'm hopeful, and then I want to share a story with you as we conclude and then pray. And um, I'm sad because I have seen... I'm old enough to have lived in this nation uh, long enough to have actually some first-hand 
at least remembrance of um, some major decisions that were made that have impacted our nation and certainly um, have impacted the church. Uh, can y'all still hear me? No, it sounds like something has... Uh, could you bring the handheld to me, Michael? This thing is now off. Test, test, test. Uh, so um, I began to... Um, I remembered uh, something about when prayer was removed from the public arena. I was born about 11 years prior uh, to that event happening uh, in June 1963. I was about 12 years old, and I just remember hearing about it. And I thought, yeah, no big deal. Prayers removed. You know, it was more mandatory prayer was removed from the public arena. And that has proved to be a big issue uh, as I've gotten older and as I subsequently became a Christian. And of course, that was from the Abington Township, Pennsylvania versus Shemp uh, Supreme Court decision, uh, which was June 17, 1963. How many of you were born after 1963? See a good bit of you. There are some millennials and some Gen Xers who don't even have a remembrance of that. <laughs> And that's okay. Um, and then I remember uh, some 10 years later, I was uh, in 73, June of, uh, I think it was June of 73, uh, that abortion was made legal um, in the United States through a landmark decision, Roe versus Wade, and, and there were some other Supreme Court decisions that were made, but that became the watershed mark by which uh, now we had prayer removed from the public arena, and now we have abortion on demand, which means you could essentially murder unborn children at will, meaning at your own uh, convenience. And I know that many of you have had abortions, and I know that many of you have had to live with the consequences of that decision. And, uh, and yet, it was made legal, which incidentally did not make it right. Uh, so those two decisions, I remember something about them. And then this past Friday, um, in what is, I don't have words to express adequately, but there was governmental overreach meaning they reach way beyond their constitutional um, right. And in a sweeping landmark decision, it was a 5-4 decision, of course most of you know, that uh, they um, said that now same-sex marriage is legal in the United States. That was June 26th, 2015. All of you are alive to remember that decision. Uh, and there will be times going forward where we will talk about what are the implications of that decision. And the truth is no one really knows yet the implications of that decision. Uh, certainly those who are proponents of, of gay marriages, men being married to men, or women being married to women, that would be the definition of a gay marriage, um, 
they have certain rights now under the laws of the land. But the fact of the matter is we don't yet know what are all of the implications to that in terms of uh, the loss of, li of, of religious liberty or uh, the spiritual realities of those of us who are Christian. We're, we don't yet know what that really means. Um, so we've had the loss of, of prayer in the public arena. We've had the loss then of, of life being legalized through abortion, the loss of life being legalized through abortion in 73. Uh, and now um, it would appear that anybody can get married as long as there are certain fidelities in the heart, you know, and men can marry men, women can marry women. And, and um, that's just what happened. Now, what I want to say here is that many of us are extremely discouraged, and that's why I'm sad. I'm sad because of, of I, the country that I have loved and you have loved and we love has been on a slippery slope. Um, now it's hard to pray in a public school in the name of Jesus, but it's okay to kill your unborn. And you can't pray in the public arena, but, you know, it's okay for men to be married to men. Now, regardless of where you are on that particular third issue of gay uh, marriage, um, the Bible actually has a whole lot to say about it. it. Just the way the Bible has a whole lot to say about killing people, including killing unborn people. Uh, it can be made legal, but it isn't made right. And, and the, the legal system can say it's now legal, but it doesn't make it right. And I will not this morning walk through all of the scriptures that declare that, but what we believe as evangelical, historic Christian believers is that God has spoken and he's cataloged a good bit of his word and his will in that which was written. And that's what I'm reading from here in just a little bit. Uh, so um, even though this uh, law was enacted and um, essentially marriage is now redefined, that doesn't make uh, it any more right than it ever was. That's really all I want to say about it at this point. Um, but what I'm, but what I want you to hear this morning is that the United States of America. Now, this will be a shock to some of you. Some of you will really disagree. Well, I don't think you'll disagree, but you're still parked in the place that the nation, as a whole, because you believe that it was built on Christian principles, and indeed there were many that were at the foundation of the beginning of our nation. The nation of the United States of America is not the church. Now, it's important to remember that as much as we love our nation and as much as we have applauded living in the land of the free and the home of the brave, it, our nation, is not the church. And if we put our, just hear me on this, because uh, the nation may reflect many of the norms 
of the church, but it, the church, uh, is very different than the nation. Now, if, if that is true, uh, and I believe that it is, uh, that I think many are depressed and discouraged and fearful uh, because they see our uh, rights and privileges being our, our Christian heritage and therefore our rights and privileges being eroded. But beloved, what I would say to you is that our nation is only doing what it's supposed to do and that is it's being the world. Now I know some of you hate that because you wish it were being the church. But it, the nation, is not the church. I know there are parts of it that are still reflecting in some ways what the church believes, but it, the nation, is not the church. That's all I'm saying. It, the nation of America, is not um, the kingdom of God. It is not a theocracy, a rule by theos, by God. God is not ruling this nation, though the nation still in some ways is reflecting portions of what it believes about God. But it, the nation, uh, is not the kingdom. The kingdom is very different than any nation. Uh, so I'm sad this morning because of the loss of liberties in our nation, uh, but the world is only doing what it's supposed to do, and that is to be dark. Now, uh, the big question, is the church doing what it's supposed to be? And that is to be bearers of the light and carry the presence of God. Now, some of you are extremely, and, and I'm just picking up comments, you know. I'm just, I just hear things, and, and uh, boy, if God did this to Sodom, man, what do we... God saved Lot, a righteous man, out of Sodom. And you can be sure that in the fullness of time, when God sent the Lord Jesus to redeem a people out of the world... See, that's the church, those who are redeemed. God will not forget you in the midst of any nation of the world in which you live, regardless of how dark that nation gets or how dark that world gets. Now, see, we are called to be the church. Those who are called, what is the church? If the nation is not the church, what is then the church? It's those who are ekle, ek out of, kaleo, called out of, the world. You and I have been called out of darkness. Stop yelling at the darkness for being dark. Start walking as ambassadors of light and life and presence. You see, in fact, when you come to First John, uh, let me just read it verse 15 of chapter uh, 2, it says, Beloved, do not love the world. That doesn't say don't love your country. It doesn't say don't think highly. It doesn't say don't work for reform and don't be involved in politics. It doesn't say any of that, but it does say don't love it. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Why? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. Why? Because the church is different 
than the world. And what makes the church the church is that Jesus has finally found the person in whom He can live. It's His presence. And the presence and the light and the love and the, 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 the light of Jesus cannot be seen unless it has a backdrop of darkness. Now, I wish that weren't the case. And I know many of you wish that were not the case. Because I believe the church in America has in fact fallen into the hot tub religion syndrome. Where we want to be comfortable, and we want to be complacent, and we want to have it our way so we can live as we've always lived. And God says, no, I have called you for such a time as this. Called you out of the world and out of the darkness. Let me read on. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. That means where we just want it our way. The lust of the eyes. We want everything that looks great. The pride of life. That's not of the Father, it's of the world. Verse 17 of 1 John chapter 2. Memorize this, beloved, going forward. The world is passing away. And the lust of it. But the one who does the will of my Father will abide forever. Beloved, the presence of God is by abiding in the church. It is. The presence of God is not abiding in the darkness. The presence of God is abiding in the light, in the life of those whom he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Therefore, I'm sad because I see the slide and the loss of liberty, but I'm extremely hopeful because you and I have been called to be the church, called out of darkness, called out of the world, yet living in the midst of this world, uh, in the midst of this present age, in order to be carriers of the life of Jesus. Remember he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You see, we get to carry that message. You are a living epistle. You are a living epistle that others are never going to see who God is unless they can read your life, unless they can see your light, unless they can experience your love. And if we keep barking at the darkness because it's dark, we'll, we'll get distracted from the central issue, which is to be the people of God, living in the light, experiencing His life, and loving people who don't yet understand. For such were all of us. Until the Gospel came and, and, and pulled us out of darkness into His marvelous light. I'm hopeful because the church still exists. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9 says, For you were once darkness. Anybody not understand that? You came from it, the darkened world. And you once lived in darkness. But the cross of Jesus rescued you. The light of the gospel came into your heart. The life of Jesus was imparted to your dead heart. And Ephesians 5, 8, and 9 says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the world, or in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In other words, live in such a way as to allow your light to be seen by other people. That's your calling. That is the calling of the church. 
to let your light shine so that those who are still in darkness, whether it's in Russia or Poland or Central America or in the United States or in your neighborhood, let your light so shine so that people can get into the family of life and light. That's the goal of the Father. It's not to save the nation. We already read that the, the world is passing away. And the fullness of it. Stop putting your trust in mammon, in money, in comfort, and in complacency. Start putting your comfort, start putting your priority and your fix upon Jesus who will soon become the only source of comfort that the church has. That is by the design of a loving Father. You see, I serve a God who is a loving God. He loves me enough... He told me that He sent His only begotten Son. So that if I would believe in Him, I wouldn't perish with the world. But that I might be saved, called out of darkness to be a representative of carrying the light to others. 1 Peter 2.9, a couple quick scriptures. It says, 1 Peter 2.9, You are chosen. You are royalty. Who? Those who were previously living in the world in darkness have been chosen by God and called into the family. We, were, uh, we are royalty. We are called holy and special. And now we're God's own people. Beloved, that makes you different than everybody else on planet earth who does not yet know what you know. Now remember, keep that in mind, who does not yet know what you know. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Therefore do all things without complaining and disputing, in order that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation slash nation. I'm sorry our countries sliding and degenerating. But it is not the church. It is not the kingdom. It was your old home, but now you are citizens of a new place. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's in Christ. And He's going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. One of these days, Jesus is going to return. Whether it's before a millennial reign, a thousand years or period of time, or whether in the midst of it, or whether at the end of it, I don't know. And nobody does. But what I know is that He will return. Now why would He do that? He's coming to get a body and to get a bride who is equal to His head. And when he comes, she, the bride of Jesus, will be without spot or without wrinkle or without any such thing. They will be holy, not because of anything we have done, but according to his mercy and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, he saved us. Okay? Uh, so, among whom you live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation... Philippians 2, 14 and 15, among whom, among 
whom you live as lights in the world. You, you, see, you see what I'm saying to you, beloved, is that God has called you to live as light in the midst of darkness. That's all I'm saying. That's what the Bible says. So if we fixate upon any circumstance related to darkness, or even if we fixate upon our nation's stupidness, meaning they do things contrary to the Word of God, if we fixate on that, we will become preoccupied with it and lose sight of our calling, having been called out of the darkness to be representatives and carriers of His light and of His life uh, and, and of uh, His own presence. A couple more scriptures. The older you are, the harder it is for us to get this. I understand that. That's why I started with, I can remember when prayer was taken out of school. I can remember when abortion was legalized. And I can remember a few days ago now, fortunately I can still remember, <laughs> you know, when, when uh, well, you get it. A couple more scriptures. John 12, Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in the darkness. You see that we won't live anymore in the darkness. Now in John 17, you remember, Jesus prayed this prayer that I hate, a portion of it that says, Father, I pray that you won't take them out of the world. That's what I hate. My flesh hates that, that he would call me out of darkness and then tell me to live in the midst of it. But if you fail to understand why Jesus prayed that prayer by revelation of the Spirit, then you'll spend all of your time yelling at darkness and not understand why he's called you to be a, a, a bearer of the life and presence and light of God. Uh, you see, Matthew 5:14 puts it this way, you're the light of the world. A city is set on a hill that set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before people, men, that they may see how you live your good works, and then they may come to give glory to your Father. Did you see that? You see, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill. You can't hide it. Um, let your light just shine. Well, some of us aren't shining very much. Now, so I'm sad, but I'm hopeful because that's who we've been called to be. But I want to end with a, a real quick story from the Old Testament. Now, I want to turn back to, um, you can turn where, if you want to. I'm going to hop, skip, and jump through about 20 chapters of the book of Isaiah. I know some of you have taught it and know far more than I do about it. Uh, but um, it's the story of uh, King Hezekiah of Judah. Now, he was one of the kings of, of Judah. And in chapter 36, if you'd like to turn there, I'll just allude to a couple of scriptures. Um, it says that verse 1 of, verse, of chapter 36 of Isaiah, it says, Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, how'd you like to have that name? <laughs> Bless you. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Now, what was happening here, from what I understand, is that 
um, this king Sennacherib of Assyria was coming against Judah to destroy them. Uh, in chapter uh, 37, uh, verse 1, And so it was, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. And if you slide down to verse 7 of chapter 37, it says, God then answered him uh, through Isaiah and said, Surely I will send a spirit upon him who... Sennacherib who's coming against you I'm going to send a spirit upon him and he shall hear and you and he shall hear a rumor uh, and return to his own land and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land did you see that Sennacherib's coming against Judah and and King Hezekiah tore his clothes and threw dust up in the air and his sackcloth and he repented and he prayed and, and Isaiah sent him a word and said, I'm going to take care of your enemy, Sennacherib. I'm, he's going to hear a rumor. I don't know what the rumor was, but he's going to go back to his own land. He's going to start running and go back to his own city and he's going to turn, their, that their army will turn on each other and I will destroy them. Now here's what happened. As we kind of go forward in the story, uh, verse 36 um, of chapter 37. I think that's the place. Um, uh, Thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city, uh, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against my city, Judah. Um, or Jerusalem in, in Judah. Uh, by the way that he came, by the same way he shall return and shall not come into this city, says the Lord, and I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God had made a covenant with his people. Isn't that good? We're in covenant with our God, and he's going to protect us from the darkness as long as we stay connected to him and walk in the midst of the darkness as ambassadors of his presence and of his light. Uh, so, uh, the Lord, uh, I guess it's verse 36, says of chapter 37, Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and eighty-five thousand of them. Now the people of God, that is King Hezekiah and those in Judah, uh, they were quaking in their boots. They were scared. But they prayed and God answered and destroyed. Sent, there was a rumor, I don't know what the rumor was, but they went running back into their own town and God the angel of the Lord destroyed everybody say 185,000 whoa it was a miraculous intervention of God now we come into verse 38 this now we're talking about King Hezekiah he got in some hot water with the Assyrians and they were going to destroy him and God showed up and destroyed them, the Assyrians, 185,000 of them, chapter 38. In those days, that means shortly after that battle with Sennacherib, where God wiped him out and killed him, by the way, as well, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. 
And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him. And, and then it says, verse 2, that Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. He had a disease. We're not sure exactly what the disease was. But the same king whom God had um, miraculously intervened and saved him and the kingdom uh, by miraculous intervention, now he has a disease in his body. It might have been his feet. It might have been boils. There are certain things that in the, it's probably a cancer. Who knows what it was? But he began then to, to cry out, uh, and the king was sick and near death. And verse 2 says, He prayed, um, and I have heard your prayer, uh, and I have seen your tears. I have extended your life for 15 more years, Hezekiah miraculously delivered and now he has a disease in his body and he prayed to the Lord and the Lord miraculously healed him somebody say wow that's good now we have a king who has seen miraculous deliverance and supernatural events in his life like healing and God says I'm going to extend your life uh, by 15 more years um, and at the end of uh, chapter 38 Hezekiah promises look at chapter 38 the last oh, two or three verses the Lord this is Hezekiah's song he's, he's kind of feeling it he's on top of things God's delivered me and my people and killed the enemy and I've had a disease and he's now healed me miraculously and he sings this song verse 19 of chapter 38 the living the living man he shall praise you as I do this day the father shall make known your truth to the children the Lord was ready to save me therefore therefore Hezekiah says will I sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord in other words God has delivered me supernaturally God has healed me and intervened and healed my life and extended me 15 years therefore this is my covenant promise to you God that I will sing your praise I will be a bearer of the light I will live the life of God in the midst of the darkness of the nations I understand my calling and why you delivered and why you healed and with that the next verse chapter 39 verse 1 says and at that time uh, Meredek Baladin, he was an emissary from Babylon, sent a letter to Hezekiah uh, for he heard that he had been sick and he was recovered. Now you have a Gentile emissary, envoy, now coming to hear what they had heard. God delivered you and God healed you. Tell us about this God. You see, the next ten chapters are all about the, 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 the false gods are nothing. They're made of stone and they're made of wood and they amount to nothing. So the Gentiles then, Babylon, begin to come to Hezekiah uh, and ask. Um, so uh, Hezekiah, verse 2 of 39, I'll, I'll summarize this and end here in just a second. Verse 2 of 39, and Hezekiah was pleased with them. The envoys came to hear about this God that had delivered them and healed him. Beloved, that's what's going to begin to happen to those who carry the light. They'll come from every nation. And Hezekiah was pleased with them, the envoy, and showed them the treasures of his house. He showed them the gold and the silver, 
and all of his spices and precious ointment and all of his armory and all that was found among his treasure. There was nothing in his house or in his uh, domain that Hezekiah did not show them. Now what just happened? Hezekiah was delivered and he was healed. He was a carer, carrier of the light and the life of God. And now the pagan nations are coming to him to find out how this is so. And what Hezekiah said to them was nothing about his God, but showed them his treasures and how much he had. Now, I believe the church in America is very much um, susceptible to doing the same things in these days. And then as we get down to uh, verse 8, so Hezekiah said to Isaiah, Isaiah gave him a, a, a blistering uh, prophetic announcement, verses 6, 7, and 8 of 39. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, your fathers have accumulated this day, shall be carried off into Babylon. You see, God said, I've, I've made you a bearer of the light, a receiver of supernatural grace and healing and supernatural deliverance, and you wouldn't even open your mouth and tell the pagan envoy who comes to you. Rather than that, you showed him your stuff rather than telling him about the God who gave the stuff to you. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying here? And so Isaiah delivers this. Uh, so Hezekiah, uh, it, verse 7 says, And they shall take away some of your sons. You're going to be carried off into Babylon. And some of your descendants with you, whom you have begotten, that is your sons, and they will become eunuchs. That means they'll be castrated in the palace of the Babylonians, the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken to me is good. Huh? I'm going to carry your sons off into Babylon and castrate them, and that's good? I don't think so. Uh, for he said... At least there will be peace and truth in my day. I wonder if the church in America is saying that in some ways. We're mad at the slide into darkness, but at least I'm glad there's going to be uh, peace and truth in my day. Well, as, as you read, i got one more scripture I just want to read here. For the next 20 chapters, you have the promise of the coming of a deliverer, the suffering servant, Messiah, who is, is Jesus. Uh, he will give his life as a, as a ransom. Um, you have the s stories of the gospel beginning of people sitting in darkness and seeing a great light. That's a little bit earlier, but that's the motif you begin to see. Those who are in darkness will see a great light. You see, the people, the Gentiles, will come to see a great light. Um, and and uh, God will begin to show that you're a special people and carrying a message to the Gentiles. Now, here's a summary point. We, we can't say, at least it's going to be okay in our generation. Um, so we come then to the last verse I'm going to really, set of verses I'm going to share. This was from Isaiah the prophet, uh, spoken to uh, Hezekiah and his covenant people. And it says this, 
in Isaiah chapter 60. This word was given to Myrtle Grove uh, a number of years ago. And it says this, arise and shine. Now this is a word to Hezekiah, but it's also a word to the people of God who have received the light. Arise and shine, for your light has come. You're, you're a bearer of the light, Hezekiah. Your light has come, and you have refused to tell those who are in darkness, who are coming and asking you, why were you delivered and why were you healed? You have refused to say to them, my God is the one who did it, and you can know this same God the same way, because I used to live in darkness, and he wants you to come into the light as well. Therefore, Hezekiah, arise and shine, for your light has come. Now watch this. And the glory of the Lord has already risen upon you, Hezekiah. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Anybody miss that? The darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord has risen on you, and His glory will be seen on you, and the Gentiles shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. The church is going to arise in the midst of darkness if we will hear the lessons of the past and say, God, make us those who simply carry the light. The darkness is going to get darker. I'll tell you what darkness looks like. Darkness looks like a little 20-some-year-old white boy that goes into a church in Charleston, South Carolina, and sits in their Bible study and sort of tries to fake it for a while, but all of a sudden he pulls out a Glock 45 and kills people. Boom, 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 boom. I think some nine people were destroyed. That's darkness. That's not deep darkness. That's darkness. That's what happens when people live in darkness, and such were some of us. But, but, but let me show you what the light looks like. When those families face their enemy, and one by one with tears streaming down their face, they forgive that young man for killing their sons and their husbands and their mothers. They forgave him in the name of Jesus. Why? Because their hearts have been captured by the life of Jesus. And they dare not do what Hezekiah did, which is to simply say, oh, look at my stuff. We got lots of stuff in the church. God could give a rip about my stuff or yours. What he cares about is the hearts of those who are still living in darkness. And one by one they stood and they declared, as hard as it was and as an act of their will, I choose to forgive you. In the midst of darkness, there was blinding light of the gospel that went forth for the nations to see. Now, beloved, that could not happen without darkness. I'm not cheering for the darkness. I'm simply saying in the midst of darkness, that's where we shine. Now, that is not, that's just darkness. That is not deep darkness. For the, the, behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord 
has arisen on you and his glory will be seen upon you. And trust me, the Gentiles will come to the brightness of your light and there will be kings that will come to you as well. Beloved, we do not yet fully understand who we are. But as the darkness encroaches and as the darkness gets darker, we'll begin to see why God has called us out of it into his light to then go back into the darkness and tell people about the life of Jesus and the light that comes only through the glorious gospel. Let me go just a little bit further. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you, your sons and your daughters from afar. And they shall be nursed at their side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy because of the abundance that will be turned to you, even from the sea. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of the camels, now watch this, shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come and they shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you and the rams of Neboioth shall minister to you and they shall ascend with acceptance on my altar and I will glorify the house of my glory now the reason I stressed each of those funny words that sound foreign is because they all are are uh, descendants of Ishmael. So what I'm saying to you is darkness is when somebody pulls out a Glock and kills a bunch of people. Deep darkness is when the Babylonian hordes begin to come to our shore and they all have names these days. Names like ISIS and a names like Al-Qaeda and all of those hordes of darkness may be coming and the question is what are we going to do about it maybe we should buy more guns maybe we sh no what we should do is to stand without apology and recognize that God is bringing them for a purpose to hear and to see a demonstration of the love of God the light of God and the life of God in his people whom he has called out of darkness to be representatives of the light. When the church is in the midst of persecution, something happens extraordinary. The church grows. When the church is in the midst of apathy and comfort and, and all that other stuff, something happens. Nothing. So why is this happening in my day? I don't know, except God's called us to bear the light and the life of Jesus. This church and every church in America is in the hinge right now. And the question is, which way will we go? When they, whoever they are, come, will we show them our stuff or we tell them about the giver of life and light, Jesus You see, there are some people that are under 20 that are different from us who are 60 and older. And the difference isn't just their age. The difference is that there are fewer of them who genuinely know Jesus statistically.
but the number of them that know Jesus are so radical, they, they could care less about your programs or mine. They could care less about those things that we've always done in our squabbles about color and hymns and songs. What they want to know is, is the gospel real to you? And they're watching and they're evaluating. And of that small minority of those millennials, those young 20s and, and, and less, or 20, whatever they are, 4 or 5 and less, is that that few number are radically sold out. And if we can catch from them what they have and unite their passion with our wisdom, the church in America is going to rise in the midst of darkness and there will be not just a flicker or not just a, a flash of light, but there will be a blinding blaze of revival that happens around the nations by which every church where the name of Jesus is named will come alive and the nations of the earth will begin to stream to the light of His coming. Beloved, that's where we need to pray. We need to pray for the church. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for enlightenment. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray for awakening. Yes, pray for your leaders. And yes, pray for the government. And yes, pray for your president. Goodness knows he needs it. But so do I. And so do you. And so do we in the church. Let's stand. I want to offer prayer for us as a congregation. We were going to pray and, you know, maybe we will. But if you're ready to say, I'm finished with just playing church, then I want you in your heart to say, God, here I am today. I might be 85, but it makes no difference. Here am I. Take the rest of my days. I may be 35. You say, here I am. God, take the rest of my days. You might be five years old and in here this morning. Why aren't you in children's church? <laughs> but you say in your heart of hearts, if that's the desire, God, make me a missionary of grace and life and light to the nations. And start with my neighbor. Trust me, church, this is our finest hour. Trust me, church, we have not yet seen anything. Let them legalize whatever they want to legalize. It will change nothing in terms of the life of Jesus. Why? Because God is good, and His mercy endures forever, and His faithfulness endures throughout all generations. Will the end of this nation come? I don't know. But I know the end of the kingdom will come. When Jesus descends and the sky is rolled back like a scroll and every knee shall then see and every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you've not bowed your knee yet to Jesus, there's still time to do that. You can do it today. I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to, uh, Dean, why don't you come up here, and we're just going to end with some worship and worship for a period of time. Any of you that want to slip out and go home, you can do that. And any of you want to stay and worship and pray, uh, you're invited to do that as well. Father, just pray with me. Just say amen as you can and as you're able. Father, we uh, thank you that you um, are not surprised by darkness. Lord, you have created the light of Jesus uh, to infiltrate 
the darkness. And Lord, you have put that light in us. You have put the life of Jesus in us. God, you have put the love of Jesus in us. Ignite that life. Ignite that light. Release that love in our hearts, God, so that we would never shrink back as Hezekiah did from declaring who you are and pointing people rather to what we have. So, God, you see us. You know the circumstances of our lives. But, God, we will not shrink back from looking to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm going to do one last thing. And I'm going to ask if you're maybe 25 years old or younger to come right up here and stand before me. Come on, don't wait for everybody else to come. Just get up here. Because I'm going to ask some folks to pray for you. Because we will not be 30 and down, my wife said. That's even better. 30 and down. How about 35 and down? That doesn't matter. God's looking for hearts today. Come on, get up here because we're just going to pray for you. Now, I want, as they're coming, the why I think the Lord said, have them come is that we will not say, well, at least it'll be okay in our lifetime. The, some of you are dying. Well, we're all dying. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are getting old. You won't be here in five years, ten years. I don't know. We don't know. You don't know. But if the Lord tarries, they'll be here. Come on, press in just a little bit further. Now, I want some of you out there who feel so led to come up and stand around them. And just put your hands on because I'm just going to bless them. Come on. Gather around them. Don't be afraid to come up here on the steps and look toward them. Just put your hands on them. We just want to bless them today. Now, older folks, this is not because we love younger folks more than we love older folks. I am one, an older folk. This is because they're the, they're the church. They're the the generation of those that will carry on the name of Jesus. Come on, some of you older folks, get up here. Harold, you need to be up here. Come on, move it. Somebody else, get up here. Come on around them and let's just bless them now. Come up here on the steps, some of you older folks, and face them. Put your hands on them. Come on. It's okay to come up here. Now let's just pray in conclusion. Father, thank you for these, this next generation, God. We bless them today in the name of Jesus. Lord, you see all of our stuff, and for that you've sent Jesus to die so that we might be free from it. Now, God, release into them something that we have. And as we pray, release something into us from them that we desperately need. God, this is not a day of the way things always have been. We repent of saying, as Hezekiah has said, well, at least it's going to be okay in my lifetime. God, we say we want your way and your will 
to come right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, release fire upon their hearts. Release your spirit, God, upon them in the name of Jesus. Father, we declare over them that they are a righteous seed. Lord, we declare the blood of Jesus. And right now, God, would you give them promises? Would you give them, God, uh, promises and hope for their future? Lord, they are carriers of the Prince of Life. They are carriers of the Prince of Peace. God, and as they carry, carry the love of God, the life of God, the light of Jesus, God, I pray that through them there would be a multitude, hundreds of thousands of people, Lord, would yet come into this kingdom. Lord, all around this sanctuary right now, Lord, those who are older, those who are up in the balcony, down the center aisle, and every spread all around, God, would you go and search out and find hungry hearts, and God, begin to fill them up with your spirit afresh in the name of Jesus. Now, if you're standing up front, this is not about a sensational moment. This is about simply saying to God, God, I receive all that you have for me. I receive your promises. I receive the hope that you have. And God, you're putting the fire on people, the young and the old. Lord, we love the older folks in this congregation. I've heard it from the mouths of these younger folks. We love the older folks. God, we're declaring to them we love the younger as well because we've been celebrating our life together. Now, Holy Spirit, just release something fresh upon them. And God will give you the praise in the name of Jesus.
presence of God. Michael, come here and share a word with us. Michael, Escalante, come up here. Share a quick word with us. Father, I remind you of the word that you spoke through your Holy Spirit and Derek Prince. I have found favor with you here in eastern North Carolina. I will personally visit you there will be a revival greater than what took place in Wales at the turn of the 19th century. And there will be kings and leaders that will come from east and west to study 
the Eastern Carolina phenomena. Thank you, Lord, for honoring your word. I remember Steve Fry, who spoke from Isaiah 60 in the what, mid-80s? 85. Harold Weikert has been a guardian of that prophetic word ever since in his heart and has been praying it. <laughs> and Harold, the Lord says you've been misunderstood, brother. But God's about to do something fresh in you and in your life and in your marriage to release you into a new place for His glory. <laughs> and I'm also reminded that He chooses the foolish things of the world, like you and me, to confound the wise. We bless you, God. Release your presence in this house. In closing, as a benediction, I'd like all of us to say the Lord's Prayer together. Can you say it with me? Our Father... somebody a hug. Maybe Dean will continue another worship song here for us. We love you guys. Be blessed in the name of Jesus. Your